finding your place in society can feel like being forced to replicate the movements of others in a mirror. Does our technology buy us freedom from conforming or dehumanize us? And do individuals really need society and culture anyway? Welcome to season two, episode one of the Evolve Faster podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Dehumanized, the search for self in the devil's looking glass. In an open church courtyard, a woman stood naked, tied to a wooden stake. An odd comfort came from the smell of dried pine in the air as her head lolled forward like a rag doll. Dozens of infected wounds across her body ached as one. Why does such pain even exist in this world? And what kind of God would allow it? The darkness hid her birthmark, which was in the shape of a bird's wing. What an irony that her favorite feature led to her demise. Did she confess? The answer lay in piles of dried wood surrounding her feet. Not that it mattered. It was over the moment they'd found it. Not a single star broke the pitch black, darkly clouded sky. Trying to remember the last time they'd let her sleep, a sharp stick prodded her abdomen with a command to lift her head. A roar of bloodlust pierced the night, reinvigorating the mob. Burn her. She loved this courtyard. Even now, with a crowd cursing and throwing rotten vegetables and animal feces at her, she could picture it in her mind's eye. Lifting her head, she tried to get a glimpse of the dogwood tree in the corner. But even the white flowers couldn't cut through the void. A hooded man approached his torch burning her eyes as if staring directly at the sun. Another man emerged from the darkness, dressed in black, with a golden crucifix around his neck. He yelled with theatrics for the whole courtyard to hear, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. The silhouettes of large books in each of the priest's hands floated towards her as he chanted the phrase to incense the mob. One book she once thought to be her salvation, and the other used the first to justify her condemnation. With the executioner inches away from the dried wood, her stomach roiled, but her body had nothing left to give. Using the power of the revulsion to muster a final plea, knowing there was no chance for her own forgiveness, the woman screamed, please have mercy on my daughter. As if in reply, the priest yelled in a dramatic command, burn the witch. As the dry wood heated, it crackled with loud pops, but the flames rapidly went from a pleasant warmth on her cold, bare skin to excruciating pain in what felt like an instant. The woman's screams easily overwhelmed the sound of the entire mob, who now slowly emerged out of the darkness in an orange glowing circle all around her. As she blacked out from the pain, her final thought was the smile on her daughter's face upon seeing herself for the first time in that shard of stolen mirror. Standing in front of a large gathering, Sam Payne wiped away sweat as the southern sun burned down on the small town square. Cheers mixed with jeers as people waited for the speech to continue. Holding a small megaphone bought at a thrift store the day before, Sam felt much older than 16. I'll repeat again the simple question which led to this school walkout. What kind of future do we want? 
we create the future. We don't have to accept the mess being thrown at us. The adults in our lives have acted like selfish children, taking instead of giving, profiting today without giving a damn about our tomorrow. They've sold our data. Actually, they've given it away to whatever corporation gives them the best little serotonin bump. They've turned us into little data points in some grand social experiment to let artificial intelligence decide what's best for humanity. We need to wake up. We're being dehumanized. Not even knowing what might come out next, Sam paused and took a deep breath before continuing. The crowd, both the dissent and the encouragement, fanned the flame. You think climate change is an existential threat? What about martyrizing the entire globe? 62 individuals own half of the world's wealth. It used to be that he who held the money held the power. But owning our data? That is the true power. These devices reach directly into our soul, and they capture every bit of it. Driven by this ultimate power grab, the biggest companies get bigger, and the corporate elite get closer to superhuman. Follow the logical trajectory. What started as pay-to-play government is now heading towards an artificial intelligence corporate takeover and a monotheism of government. And the company that develops the first general AI will literally take over the world. We're on a path to a singleton, a single entity that holds the fate of humanity in its grasp. Loud yelling disrupted the speech. Sam paused and took a moment to notice the difference between the extremes in the crowd. It spanned from curious to angry, young to old. Sam continued, It's time to wake up to this downward spiral of social conformity we're being sucked into. Once you're nothing more than a data set to be sold, you're on the path to marginalization. Coupled with this, AI is coming for all jobs. These universal basic income bills on the table are written for these corporations to make you a useless consumer, not a valuable member of society. Unless you want to be nothing more than a statistic in an AI future where humans adding value is seen as a thing of the past, then it's time to look in the mirror and decide what you want to see looking back at you in 10 years. The heat from the sun and the pressure of the situation caused a wave of nausea. Having no experience in public speaking, let alone inciting riots, Sam turned off the megaphone, worried that things had already gone too far. It was only two weeks prior that Sam's article on dehumanization via data in the local newspaper generated a highly polarized backlash to these ideas. The recoil, however, only made Sam more determined. Sam recalled standing in the bathroom, smashing the mirror in anger, while reading the idiotic comments and name-calling. It was there where Sam decided to call a school protest. But the walkout did a lot more than just call attention to the amount of people in disagreement with the trends that she saw taking hold in society. It also quickly marred the upstanding image of itself that the living generations before Sam had of themselves. Like looking into muddy water, a distorted image of supposed values reflected back. Just before smashing the mirror, Sam had fought with Rose about the article. 
How did she not get it? To Sam, it was clearly time to debug this weird code controlling us that was leading to mass conformity and ultimately what Sam felt could be the end of humanity. Sam's phone buzzed and brought reality rushing back. It was a text from Rose. Why are you doing this? There's a live feed on Facebook. You're really pissing people off and who knows what someone might do. Sam's cheeks flushed red. Phone off, megaphone back on. Sam stepped up onto a park bench and said in a chilling tone, it's time we break the code and take back what's ours. We need to embrace what it means to be human before they redefine it for us. Returning home, Sam melted into a couch with her skin still tingling from the sun's heat and the intensity of the rally. The old house walls embodied protection and quiet. What do you think you're doing, Sam? Sam's eyes remained closed, not wanting to let the feeling of safety or the residual emotion from the speech be so easily disrupted. Didn't you hear what I said? Everyone's talking about that stunt of yours. I even got a call from our pastor telling me to talk to you, not to mention your school. My whole day has been answering calls and apologizing. Do you know you could get expelled from school? And you know what that means? All these highbrow colleges you want to attend could blacklist you. As if finishing a meditation, Sam inhaled deeply, then exhaled deliberately before slowly turning towards the voice, eyes reopened. Mom, I had to do it. I can no longer ignore what's happening. It's ridiculous. Everyone is always worried about the wrong things. Sam, why can't you ever just go with the flow with anything, ever? I read your little know-it-all article. It was forwarded to me dozens of times today. I don't even understand why you're ranting against technology so much. It's even causing me problems at work. You're missing the point. Technology isn't the problem. Your generation has gone with the flow so much that you've sold us out, and working for the biggest tech company blinds you even further. Sam stared her down for an uncomfortable amount of time without speaking. Then, with deliberate steps, Sam never broke eye contact, defiantly walking out of the back of the house. No force on earth could keep Sam from leaving this town. Sam welcomed the serenity usually found in the center courtyard of the family's plantation-style home. Sam's grandmother, Mary, sat quietly in her usual spot in the shade of the dogwood tree. On the ground were still fragrant flowers fallen from the tree. Mary looked like a gravitational sun being orbited by a universe of white stars. Sam often found Mary here at this time of day, and usually at work, shining an antique mirror she treasured. The edges of the ornate mirror were all cracked and rusted, with some of the decorative parts missing. Sam always found it particularly odd that the mirror itself was broken in dozens of places. It was clearly professionally fixed, but there was no hiding the shatter lines and a few missing shards. The muddiness of the mirror's era made it impossible to see much more than a funhouse version of oneself. Mary slowly rubbed the mirror with a microfiber cloth, carefully avoiding the repaired edges of the slices. Sam couldn't understand the point. It was clear that no amount of polishing would ever improve the reflection. Another stormy day? It seems you can't get enough. 
Sam sat and poured a glass of water from a pitcher sitting next to Mary's chair. Some condensation on the glass was all that remained of the melted ice. Watching Mary take a long drink of water, Sam saw a small scar on Mary's cheek. Yeah, Graham, a hurricane of a day, in fact. You still think you're going to see yourself clearly in that old mirror one of these days? Mary and Sam shared a smile at their long-running joke. Sam loved Rose, but only with Mary did it feel comfortable enough to remove society's mandatory masks and acknowledge how that felt. You know it's not about making the mirror functional, Sam. Mary held the mirror upright in Sam's face. All Sam could see was a distorted reflection. To be honest, Graham, I feel like Dracula when looking into that mirror. No reflection at all. Don't worry, Sam. The sun is still out and you haven't turned into dust. Besides, you've survived the garlic in my garden for this long, so... Mary paused to take a good look at the progress of her mirror ritual. This mirror holds a lot of meaning for me, and maybe it will for you someday as well. I went through quite an ordeal when I was young, and afterward, it made me see society in a completely different light. Years later, when the dust finally settled, I bought this mirror at an antique auction to keep as a reminder. The woman who broke this mirror did so to help people see society and themselves differently as well. I gather you're not too happy with society at the moment either, correct? The story made Sam want to frown and smile at the same time. I can't help it, Graham. Anytime I see stupidity, something in me lights up and I just have to act. This social conformity issue, I just, I just don't see how everyone isn't terrified by the direction in which we're heading. People have their faces buried in their devices and don't stop to consider what the long-term trade-off is for handing off all our decisions to machines and corporations. We're selling off the future of humanity. And if you go against this globally accepted hallucination, all they want to do is burn you at the stake. It just pisses me off that there are these arbitrary rules I'm supposed to follow. You'd think I signed some contract requiring me to act, think, and behave in a certain way. I mean, what the hell is the point of society anyway, just to have another tribe to join? Sam, society and culture are fictions that will dictate your life if you let them. But society is shaped by you as much as you by it. Mary picked up the mirror and alternated it between her and Sam as she talked. They think you did sign a contract. It's easy, normal even, to get so entangled in society that you feel trapped. In reality, it's you trapping yourself. Few people have the guts to tear up the contract they were handed at birth. Will you? You'll have to ask yourself, are you the mirror reflection of society or do you want society to be a mirror reflection of you? But that's exactly it, Graham. I want to see myself in the mirror, undistorted by these masks they're trying to make me wear. And I want them to look at themselves in the mirror and see individuality there, not a person just looking to swallow the narrative they're being handed. Sam looked down, then back at the mirror before continuing. You know, Graham, there's something more about all this that's bothering me. Something bigger. But promise me you won't tell anybody, especially Mom. Without hesitation, Mary replied, Sam, of course, I promise. I got a call from some guy claiming to be a journalist for a big news organization. I don't even know how he got my number, 
He wants to do an interview with me and take this issue much broader. He seems like he gets it, and he also wants this idea to crack through people's digital haze. The only reason this is getting attention is that it's calling my mom's generation to the mat for selling us out. But people don't seem to really be processing the implications of what I'm saying. This trend we're on is bad for humanity. It's serious. Mary laughed. I'm not sure this is a secret I'm going to need to keep for very long then. Sam fussed in the chair. I don't know. I'm scared and not sure I'm ready for broader, whatever that means. And although I constantly argue with my mom, I do understand what she's saying. My actions are causing trouble for the family. I can only imagine how it is for her anytime she goes out to a store in this stupid little town or to that church full of charlatans. You're right, Sam. It's not child's play. You're taking an entire generation to task for basically being irresponsible parents, which is one of the harshest criticisms you can make of someone. If you decide to go with it, you need to be ready to accept the consequences of your actions. You wouldn't be the first one in your family. There seems to be some kind of genetic predisposition in our family to smash the societal mirror. No one in the family ever talked about Sam's grandfather. Sam inched forward in her chair and locked eyes with Mary, asking, Why did Grandpa leave? Mary smiled. That's a story for another time. I'll just say that both your grandfather and I were too busy tearing up our pre-assigned social contracts to be able to focus on having one together. But what you're doing now is more important than what happened in the past. Mary took the mirror and started polishing again. Sam noticed her face relax every time she picked it up. Sam, why do you think people are having such a hard time understanding what you've got to say about society? Sam replied, because people are idiots. They're following some faulty rules and don't take a second to think about them. It's like they're coded that way, programmed to buy into these conventional wisdoms or something. Tribalism almost seems to be reversing on this issue. Society is becoming one big tribe sold on the idea that dataism and an AI future is best for humanity. What I don't understand is why everybody's making such a big deal out of it. Everyone's behaving as if I'm planning to murder someone. Is going against the status quo really that frowned upon? Imagine it like this, Sam. In society, besides official rules like do not kill, there are also unofficial rules or norms. Unlike if you murder someone, nobody's gonna call 911 if you break a norm. There are no real consequences if you burp loudly during lunch, but it's a norm we still hold on to in our culture, and people will get offended. Yet in some Asian cultures, burping is interpreted as a compliment to the chef. While punishments maintain laws, feelings like embarrassment, pride, and guilt maintain norms. So while you're not breaking any laws, you are messing with norms to which many people are beholden. And especially in these parts, most people don't take kindly to change. Someone might actually get offended if you burp during lunch. So imagine what happens if you tell someone they've had the wool pulled over their eyes and have also spent most of their life being selfish. Society decided it's taboo to criticize the living generations before you. And that's that as far as most are concerned. Sam's jaw tightened in reply. So what, society isn't giving me a choice? What stupid rule is that? Mary turned the mirror towards Sam. Look into the mirror, Sam. 
Sam took another look at the distorted reflection. I told you, Graham, I can't see anything but broken pieces in that mirror. Exactly, Sam. And in a way, that's who created this predicament, isn't it? We have a distorted image of ourselves created by society, or from our culture, religion, local customs, politics. But in return, how society shapes us also reflects how we shape society. Still confused, Sam asked, so what are you saying? Mary smiled. I'm saying that the way you see yourself also plays a role in how society is shaped. Sam sat up straight. Graham, I'm not like them. Everybody is, Sam. Same as someone signed a contract with the idea that it's okay we be manipulated by big corporations and sell off all that remains of being human to machines. So have you created your own. You need to take the time to look at yourself in the mirror and see who you are before rewriting the contract you signed the day you were born. I don't understand, Graham. Mary stopped polishing the mirror and leaned it against the chair for Sam to see. Let me tell you a quick story about this mirror. I researched the history of it before I purchased it at an auction many years ago. The information wasn't easy to find. I did a lot of digging through library archives. It's a good thing, though. If the auction were today, all of the online data would have made it easy for more people to find the history and drive the price up. You probably can't even imagine the time without the world at your fingertips, but it wasn't too long ago that it was all paper. Sam smiled at the thought as Mary continued. And hard for me to even imagine, but a few hundred years ago, even mirrors were a rarity. Mirrors of one form or another have been around for thousands of years. Polished black onyx found in the tombs of pharaohs and so forth. But if you think this one is muddy, you should have seen those. So it wasn't until just a few centuries ago when the glass experts on the Venetian island of Murano perfected the art of modern-day mirror-making as we know them, polished glass with polished metal backing. Back in that time, mirrors were very expensive and only the wealthiest people in society had them. There are lots of stories about the scarcity of mirrors and what wealthy people were willing to pay for them. A single mirror cost as much as a field of wheat or a naval ship, if the anecdotes have any truth. So just imagine, Sam, until fairly recent history, very few people ever saw what they even looked like. This made for a much more collective view of oneself. The societal norms in most cultures were that you were a member of your community, and at this time in the Western world, you were a member of the church. There was far less individuality than you have today, especially for women. Sam imagined this previous version of the world. Well, your story is making my point. We're going back to this idea of social conformity on the most important issue, human identity, expression, and individuality. If we don't pay more attention, we're going to wake up to a world where humans don't even matter anymore. Mary laughed. Probably so. It would be quite a life cycle for humanity to end up right where we started, just another middle-of-the-road mammal. This was also the time of the Great Plague of Europe and also the Christian Inquisitions first the Catholic, then the Protestant. The church institutions were looking for a scapegoat for why one-third of the population of Europe died. Remember, the scientific germ theories of medicine didn't come until much later, so there was still a lot of hocus-pocus being peddled. In the aftermath of the plague, when fear was at its highest, 
women somehow got the blame. Witches, Sam asked, with a face contorted in disgust. Mary nodded. Two priests wrote a book which loosely translates to The Witch's Hammer. It was an abomination, but the religious world had found their outlet for the fear. From the time of publication, only the Bible sold more copies. So for the next 200 years, it was the equivalent of number two on the bestseller list, and its heinous pages were a how-to manual on identifying, accusing, torturing, and killing innocent people, mostly women. It was all fabricated lies, of course, but tied to the right Bible verses, they had a magical hold over the imagination of the ignorant masses. It's estimated that 80,000 women were murdered. Sam's knuckles turned white, holding back a scream of anger. I know, Sam. It was one of the many awful periods in history. But back to this mirror. Once people literally started seeing themselves as individuals, society started to see a shift away from church and community-dominated identity. Like all authority groups throughout history, and still today, religious institutions leverage every means they can to control over people. So supposedly the church also spread the story that just by looking into a mirror, you'd see the devil. Of course, with the poor mirror quality, you probably would see odd reflections that might look like the devil standing behind you. There was a strong woman in this time period who refused to accept her position in society as mandated. She was a midwife who had a daughter and she was unmarried. All of these realities already made her an enemy to the church. Midwives, for some reason, were heavily targeted in the witch hunts, and an unmarried woman was considered to add no value to the world except to summon the lost in men. One day, she delivered the child of a very wealthy family, and in that room was a mirror. The only other time she'd seen one was when the high priest would bring out his mirror for dramatic effect in his sermons about the devil. Sam moved to the edge of her seat as Mary continued. The wife was in labor and only half conscious, and the midwife was terrified to even be in the same room with the mirror. But something inside her told her she must look. Curiosity overwhelmed the fear, and for the first time in her life, the woman saw her own reflection. And she also saw a birthmark right under her chin. Tears streamed down the face she'd never been allowed to see before this day. The slam of a door nearly startled Sam right off the edge of her chair. In the porch doorway across the courtyard stood Sam's mother. Sam stood up quickly and said, Graham, to be continued, I'm not having this conversation again with her right now. Sam strode across the courtyard in the opposite direction as Mary began to laugh. Entering the small cafe, Sam could feel the stares coming from people at the front page news that had just walked through the door. Sitting at one of the tables at the far corner was the young journalist, typing onto a tablet and also talking on the phone through a wireless headset. It was easy to spot non-locals. With hesitation, Sam approached the table. If this interview went out, Sam would likely be expelled, complicate college potential, and it's possible it would be the last straw with Rose. But each step towards the table echoed with newly gained confidence. There was no going back now. Sam shook the reporter's hand and sat down. Nice to meet you, Sam. Shall we start? 
As the journalist prepared his voice recorder, Sam ordered an iced tea. So Sam, let's get right into the good stuff. Why exactly did you stage the school walkout two weeks ago? Processing everything that had happened until now, Sam replied with a question. Don't you sometimes think there's something wrong with this reality we've created? Does it even seem real to you? No one seems to stop and think about this trajectory we're on. For centuries, humanity has progressed slowly. Then, with the Industrial Revolution, there was a dramatic spike in progress, again with the Information Revolution. But now, humanity is changing. Most are devolving. And the future holds the potential for a massive rift between upgraded superhumans and regular humans. We are entirely dependent on machines, a small set of corporations, and the uber-rich tech royalty that own them. And they own the governments. Every year, this pool gets smaller and more powerful in concert with the technologies that are slowly replacing the need for humans. They spoke for several minutes. With each question, Sam's words became sharper and more ready to cut. Onlookers in the cafe shifted in their chairs, taken aback by the intensity of the conversation. To my understanding, this started when your school mandated that everyone hand over a DNA sample supposedly for the purpose of health scanning. You seem to be extremely against that. Sam smirked. Can you believe people bought that? Health scanning? So Sam, what do you suggest? Are you saying there's nothing we can do? No, goddammit. I'm saying that it's time to break the societal code and take back what's ours. Take back our data, take back control, and decide what we want it to mean to be human in this future that we are creating. After an hour of discussion, Sam could feel fatigue overpowering passion. She decided to start wrapping things up. I want you to include a date in this interview. A date? Sam continued speaking while he wrote down the date and time. Yes, on June 5th of 2020, I want every person who is ready to take back our data and start to put controls on the corporations and individuals who have been abusing it to walk out from schools, offices, churches, synagogues, mosques, government buildings. In solidarity, we will walk out in the name of breaking the evolutionary code that we're told we must follow without having a choice. Are you sure you want to do this, Sam? Once I hit publish, there's no turning back. Sam looked at the reflection in the window. The headlights of a car flashed by and created what felt like a vision of the future beyond the reflection. A tingle up Sam's spine caused an unexpected smile, followed by a shudder of discomfort. The doors to the past were closing for good, and the doors to the future were opening into darkness. With eyes aflame, Sam turned back to the journalist and said, I know, that's the goal. Graham, are you up here? Sam found Mary sitting at a table with a decorated wooden box in front of her. All around the room were pictures of Mary with different people dating from her young age to today. Sam hardly knew any of them. It took a couple weeks, but the interview is out, Graham. People are going crazy, but still, Sam's shoulders shrugged. People still don't get it. The arguments going on now are even dumber than before. But Sam, what did you expect? 
that a couple of passionate words coming from a 16-year-old would suddenly change how people think and behave? I read the interview, and you said it yourself. It's a code baked deep inside of us. Announcing a bigger walkout won't change that, I'm afraid. Yeah, I see that now. I have to fight the same code as well. Going around yelling that society sucks won't change people's minds. I guess I need to take my own advice and realize that the contract will be signed one way or the other. But I have all the power to negotiate the terms. I guess we'll see what happens next. Sam's phone beeped and a warm smile appeared while reading the message. With a smile, Mary said, well, I guess I don't have to ask if Rose forgave you. In the open box in front of Mary, the mirror was half wrapped in a blood red velvet. Looking at the mirror, Sam's nose wrinkled. Did you manage to actually clean that old mirror? Take a look, Sam. As Mary handed the mirror to Sam, the spine tingles returned. For the first time, Sam saw a perfectly clear reflection in the antique mirror. The repaired lines of the broken glass were still there, but something was different. In the reflection, Sam inspected the birthmark in the shape of a bird's claw just below the ear. Recalling back to the witches from Mary's story, once someone was accused of being a witch, they would strip them down and search their bodies. Anything found, a mole, a wart, and even a birthmark, was sufficient evidence to be tried as a witch. Sam frowned at the stupidity of it all. It was time to burn the system instead. Sam pulled the tie out of her hair, and it cascaded over her shoulders, hiding the birthmark. You can do this. Do you like what you see now, Samantha? Mary asked. Without replying, she rewrapped the mirror in the velvet and returned it to the safety of the wooden box. She closed the clasps on the box, then carefully slid the box back under the bed where her grandmother kept the mirror. The woman's hands trembled as she pulled the box out from under the high priest's bed with care. Up close, the mirror was gorgeous and ornate. It also looked much bigger than when he held it at the altar. The fear returned that the devil might be waiting for her on the other side, but she knew that was false. The tears returned again upon seeing her own face. The mirror was so clear. She knew she needed to keep moving, but she couldn't stop marveling at her own reflection. With each tilt of her head, she learned more. Okay, she said quietly, seeing newfound confidence in her eyes. Now or never. She put the mirror back in the box and pulled out the cover. The red of the velvet was so deep, it looked dipped in blood. Wrapping the cover around her fist, she smashed the mirror as hard as she could. With the frame snugly inside the fitted case, there was almost no sound when it shattered. She brought her bundled hand down in several more places, to thoroughly break up the shards into small enough pieces to conceal in her bag. Being one of the only people who had access to the high priest's room, she knew she would get into serious trouble, but it was too late. With the broken pieces wrapped in her bag, there was no going back. Running out of the rectory, she passed the old dogwood tree in the corner of the church's courtyard. For a brief moment, she stopped to gaze upon the white flowers before continuing. She loved this courtyard. Staring up through the flowers made them look like stars in the night sky. She would get a shard of this mirror into the hands of as many people as she could. 
and she would encourage them to find another mirror, smash it, and do the same. She would smash the icons of culture and break the chains of society, no matter the cost. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosic. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster. Faster.